so we start off every service reading from the lectionary where churches all around the world uh, come together and come to this passage specifically. So this week it is Psalm 137. Psalm 137 says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. So great, very encouraging word. <laughs> really easy to transition into worship from there. Just dashing children against the rock. So yeah. Now, um, what's, what's interesting about Psalm 137 is that most of the Psalms we read, it usually ends at least in the last two or three verses on like, you know, how steadfast the love of the Lord is, or it almost brings it back in. But what's interesting, it just kind of leaves you at that place. Um, and really, Psalm 137 is not really fulfilled until the time of Jesus, you know, to where Jesus' response to where these people were, where, um, you know, very similar to where Babylon, you know, taking captive of Israel is where Rome, you know, in the New Testament takes captive of you know, Israel. Um, but our response to that is, or Jesus' response is, love your enemies. It's not just stay in that place that you're in. It's now Jesus saying, yes, you feel all these things. We feel the same thing, but we have to choose. The kingdom way is to love our enemies. Which I was just thinking about that this week, and it's, it's just, sometimes I read scripture and I'm like, man, that's, it's so tough to, uh, to live in that, that kingdom life. To where people who persecute you come against you when we're not in good places, to be able, to, you know, just to be consumed by that. But then I don't know, reading it this week and just knowing when Jesus says "love your enemies," to me that <clears throat> just points to how beautiful Jesus is. It's the life that we get to enter into, to be able to receive His perspective and know that it's not something we can force ourselves to do to love our enemies, but. God's nature through us allows us to love our enemies. So I just want to go into that today. I don't know. I, I feel like reading, <coughs> reading that passage for me is like, man, it's, it's this excitement of freeing us from, you know, trying to figure things out on our own. So, Lord, we just thank you so much, God, that you have invited us into this life. Lord, I know I'm guilty of taking it for granted. To where I just feel at times just so captive to, um, I don't know, my the season of life that I'm in or what I'm going through or feeling hopeless, God. But we just thank you that you freed us from that. Lord, even today in worship, <clears throat> we just ask, God, that, that your presence would be here. We just invite you in to have your way. I know we say that every single time, God. But Lord, if your presence isn't here, it's not worth it, God. Lord, we, we put our trust in you. We put our faith in you. 
Lord, we set our love on you today, God. Lord, just fill our hearts with hope. Fill our hearts with praise just to be able to exalt you, God, because you're so worthy of it. Lord, I just ask that you would just come. Come in power. No matter what season of life we're in, God, just fill our hearts with joy because we get to put our trust in you. So Holy Spirit, come. Let us just be able just to feel just... uh, not only just feel your presence, but just to feel free again, God, to be able to worship you and not worry about the things that we're going through, God, but we cast our cares upon you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So we're not having meet and greet, and so um, I was kind of contemplating doing this regardless, and now we're not doing meet and greet, so this is going to be our kind of pause. So... Before we begin, we've been talking about faith. There's been this theme of faith so far. We're going to continue that. Um, Talk about faith and obedience. And so before we do that, before we transition, I want all of us, wherever you're sitting, and I'm doing this for myself too, if you could just put your hands out like this. If you could close your eyes. And for just a moment... I want to lay down, I want our bodies to physically resemble what's going on inside. I want us to surrender, to give up. Whatever has been distracting us this week, whatever could potentially filter the way we listen to this um, from the word, whatever could get in the way of our spirit fully engaging with what Jesus wants to do this morning, we lay it down. And if you'll flip your hands over, and God, we now ask and receive all that you have for us this morning. We have sung of your goodness and your faithfulness. We ask and we trust and we know that you will meet with each of us specifically, individually. So we inhale. And we exhale. And we say, have your way in us. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be reading um, out of Luke this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke 17. If not, it is, of course, on, on the screen. We're going to be reading out of Luke 17, 5 through 10. And as I said, there's been this theme of faith, and we're going to continue to read about faith. 
And so it starts in verse 5, and it says, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had the faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Verse 7, Will any of you who has, who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what, our, what was our duty. So we enter this passage with the apostles saying to the Lord, increase our faith. And it's important, um, maybe they were spontaneously asking this, but not really if you if we'll pull up verse, the beginning of 17, 1 through 4. Okay, so this is, the apostles were responding to something Jesus had just told them. And their response was increase our faith. So this is what Jesus had just told the disciples. In verse 1 it says, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So Jesus had just been talking to his disciples and was talking about our responsibility for with one somebody sins and is speaking on forgiveness. And the next thing we know is the disciples are looking at Jesus and is like, I'm going to need more faith. Because that's hard. <laughs> I don't want to do that. It was Jesus was commanding them, was asking of them to, this is what it looks like to be somebody who follows me. And their response was increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you had the faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. I think when we approach scripture, there's often various tones that we can read Jesus talking in. My in innate way to approach scripture, especially when Jesus is talking, is that it would be very um, harsh or rigid or condemning because that is how I talk to myself. I'm very hard on myself. I expect um, perfection, this thing of un that's not even attainable. And so if I, if I filter Jesus through my voice, then when I read this, he's saying, you idiot, when you have at least this much faith, then we'll get somewhere. <laughs> that, because that's how I talk to myself. That is my inner critic over and over and over again. But that is not the tone that I think Jesus is responding to them with. 
I think there's a chance that we could read this as him saying, challenging them, calling them to forgiveness. And when they say, increase our faith, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You already have it in you. I'm not worried about the size of your faith, the very fact that you are present with me, the very fact that you have put faith in me of any kind is miraculous in and of itself. Because see, when we put our faith in Jesus that very first time, we are stepping into an ongoing mystery and miracle of the gospel. It is doing the impossible thing in us. And so when he challenges us or asks of us to do something like forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, again, that feels impossible. And so while our response innately might be increase my faith, Jesus' response is saying, I have already, you already have it. I am not worried about the size of your faith. I'm, I'm more concerned, I'm more affirming that it is in you because the work of the gospel has already been met in your heart and is at work. And because you know me and because you have taken a step into trusting me, I have equipped you to do the thing that feels impossible. In this case, it's forgiveness. But for, as we'll continue to read, obedience can look very different for each of us. All of us are asked as believers to do very um, contrary things to our flesh when we're part of the kingdom. We don't get to respond like we want to respond in all the situations. So if we keep reading, it says, will any of you, verse 7, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, will you eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. This is using, he's using this example, pointing um, to the dynamic between a master and a servant. And that is not the most comfortable language for us to read. Jesus um, is, is relating to the disciples in a context that they would understand. He's providing an example that would make sense to them. And that's the dynamic between a master and a servant. And he's saying, if the servant did all that he was supposed to do and then came inside, would the master thank him for doing what was expected of him? To which I imagine the disciples were like, no. And then he flips the script in verse 10 because all of a sudden we become the servants and he positions himself as the master.
we have the opportunity, again, to approach this within the, the very broken lens of what humans have done with these terms. Or we have the opportunity to think about and be reminded of the character of our master. Our master, the one that is asking us to obey him, who is asking us to serve him when we choose to step into the faith, is not a flawed, manipulative, powerful, overrunning master. He is kind and gracious and caring. Although he owes us nothing, he still blesses us and lavishes us with his goodness and his grace. That, I think, is hard for us to be reminded of, that he owes us nothing. Scripture tells us that without him, we are dead. So he owes us nothing. When we choose to put our faith in him, no matter the size, when we choose to put our faith in him, and when we begin to walk the road of faith in taking one step and then another step and obedience to him, We do that because he is worthy and he is holy and he is good and trusting and faithful. He has the most perfect track record of his character. Humans have for sure destroyed that over and over and over again. But he, in him of himself, has a perfect track record of being one who is worthy of us putting our faith and trust in him. Our faith is not about what we can do. The it's not wrong to ask for an increase of faith, but also your faith is not about you. Your faith is about Jesus doing the work of the gospel in your heart over and over and over and over again. So that when he then, knowing, he sees time so much differently than us, right? And so when he says, I'm going to ask you to do something hard. And we go to him and we say, I'm going to need more faith. If we could remember the miracle and the mystery of the gospel of when we first met him in the first place, we, we may not even always need to ask that question because that in and of itself is like life-altering. The, the, the moment I chose to step into faith, I went from dead to alive. That's, that's the work of the gospel. And then... Every time he asks me to take a step into obedience and it feels hard and I feel like I don't have enough, he reminds me, oh, but I'm in you. And the thing I have done in you is brought you from death to life. So I assure you, you have it in you because I am in you. I think this was meant to be an encouragement to the disciples that they were not lacking anything in order to walk in, in obedience to what he had just asked of them. 
you'll pull up 2 Timothy. So there's this 2 Timothy passage, and Paul is writing, well, he wrote this. There's controversy if he actually wrote the book, but anyway, he wrote this. He's writing it to Timothy. And I read this, and I noticed um, it was almost like it was um, a a banner of, of God's great character it was like he had um it was it was a it was stroke after stroke of stroke of what it looks like for us or Paul to have walked a life in submission to the Lord but was testifying to how good God is and so we're going to read this and we're going to I want to look at the kind of master the kind of person that we are putting our faith in and the kind of person that we are submitting Two, when we walk in obedience. So it says, 2 Timothy verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life, is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from the God, the Father, in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors. With a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt faith, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in his sufferings for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, and who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that that day that has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted you. I know that was a lot. Um, for the most part, I err on the side that I'm going to err on the side of too much scripture, not enough scripture. I'm going to err on the side of too much scripture, so I think we'll be okay. Um, So he went through and took note of how Paul, who is acknowledging, and we have read and know, submitted his life to the work of Jesus. He he was, this is how he talks of what God did. Not because God owes it to him, not because his obedience earned him anything, but out of God's overflowing love for him, this is what God in turn gave him. It says, he gave good gifts. He gave a spirit of of power, love, and self-control. 
there was no more shame. He saved him, called him, gave him grace and purpose, abolished death. I could keep going. The list goes on. But Paul is boasting in his encouraging letter to Timothy of all that God did to him. And while it was why it was such a delight to him to walk in obedience to Jesus. Obedience is hard, especially if you don't trust the person that you're wanting to obey. But our obedience and our faith are not something that we ourselves have to muster up. Jesus is the giver of that. He is the one. And as we take steps of obedience, he reminds us again and again and again and again, I am in you, you have it in you. He whispers it. If we are willing to dialogue with him and even pose the question and saying, God, I don't have enough to do what you are asking of me. This is too much. Jesus looks at us with tenderness and with kindness and compassion and reminds us of who he is. Because that is the source of our faith. And it's out of that that we are compelled to then take one step of obedience after the next. What I love also about the way that Paul is writing to Timothy is it brings in this like communal aspect to our faith walks. Because Paul is an experience, somebody who has experienced and seen and can testify of the ways that God has over and abundantly blessed him and been faithful in response to Paul, he then gets to encourage Timothy, which is part of the beautiful thing of church, is that for those of us who have seen and experienced God continually showing up and being faithful to us, we get to encourage and call out and affirm in others that God will do the same again and again and again. I have to wonder if the way he's writing to Timothy, I actually wondered if Timothy was asking the same questions of the disciples. If Timothy at some point in his walk was going, this is what I've seen. I have traveled with Jesus thus far, but I'm feeling a little discouraged. I'm just not sure if it's worth continuing to go. And if he was asking a similar question of God, of just like, I don't know, please increase my faith because this is hard. And Paul is responding and encouraging him and affirming him to say, it is worth it. Not because of you, but because of the one that you are serving. It is worth it. Look at my life. Look what God has done. Because see, in this, the, the relationship between master and servant, we are all servants. All of us. There is no working out of servanthood with Jesus. But what we can know is that in serving our master, he is leading us into life abundant. It's just, which is what's one of the many ways that sets apart his mastering versus mastering that's on earth. We are not 
He is not indebted to owe us anything as we have worked, but, in, but he still chooses to say, I'm gonna send my son to come and serve you because that's the kind of master that he is. So that when we can trust then, when he asks us to do really hard things, that he is asking it knowing that he is in us and because he is in us, the impossible thing has already happened. Thus, we are able to take the next step of obedience. When Jonathan and I were praying about moving into English Avenue a couple years ago, and we had a baby on the way, That would have seemed like a not smart move to many. The family that I was nannying for thought I was crazy um, because it's not safe, and you don't move into, into an unsafe neighborhood with a newborn baby. You just, that's not logical. And it's not logical. But I knew and know the character of the one that was asking this of me. I knew and I know that my responsibility was not to understand in this moment what he is taking us into, but it was to say yes now. And I could trust that because he had proven himself over and over and over and over again that in, in my unbelief, he had responded with kindness and faith. We didn't even end up moving. We didn't even end up going. But you know what that did? It was a building block. It was another step of me seeing that even if we had said yes, he would have met us and been with us. So my encouragement and the Lord's encouragement for each of us is is that maybe you actually already have what you need to do the hard thing he's asking you to do. The question in and of itself to ask for us our faith to be increased is not wrong. That is not bad. That is a beautiful prayer. I just wonder if we could see us the way God sees us, if we would be surprised that his response is, you just need to be reminded of who I am. You just need to be reminded of the miracle and the mystery of the gospel when you first met me. It isn't about you going from a mustard seed. I don't know herbs or seeds really well at all, so I can't even finish that. The mustard seed is a seed that's bigger. Where's Bethany? What's a bigger seed? (laughs) Okay. Like, it's not about going from seed to seed to plant to tree to, to whatever. Like, that's not the objective here. That's not the point. It's saying that simply coming as you are and taking the step into faith with Jesus. Because I love this. I'm going to go back to Luke. It, I, it took, I, I don't know, I read this passage a lot and I didn't even notice it. If you'll pull Luke back up, verse the 5 through 7. 
that it says, be uprooted and planted in the, in the sea and it would obey you. You know why it's obeying you? Because your faith is in Jesus. If your faith is not in Jesus, there's nothing that's obeying you. And so I, um, and prayer teams can go ahead and come up. <coughs> Excuse me. I can't, I just kept thinking of the person that was sitting there saying, I feel like I don't have faith for this. I love Jesus and I know Jesus, but I feel like I don't have enough faith to do the hard thing that he is asking of me. And let me just be really honest, that hard thing may just look like, not just, sorry, I'm going to say that. That hard thing may look like taking a really deep dive into yourself and being really honest about your greatest fears and insecurities. That doesn't have to look like some great big move or job change or, or something with your spouse. That thing may look like looking at yourself dead in the eyes and being honest. So whatever that thing is for you that is causing you to say, I don't know if I have enough faith for this. I feel like Jesus is just wanting to remind you that he says, you know me. You are walking with me. And I, I am in you. And I have come and I have died and I have conquered death. And there is no thing that I cannot do the impossible in. And so while you yourself in your flesh may not be able to, I am Jesus and there is no other above me and I can do the impossible thing because I've already done it in you when I met you and you met me. You forget that you're already, you're not starting back at step one when you have a doubt of, you're doubting your faith. You already experienced the first miracle, which was meeting Jesus. You've already actually lived part of that. You're just needing to be reminded of what he has already done. And he delights in telling us that. And then when we remember that and he asks us to do a hard thing, it sometimes gets a little bit easier. Hopefully, I don't know, I'm in my late 20s, so hopefully this is true. It gets a little bit easier to say yes a little bit quicker when he asks us to do the hard thing. And if not, there's a person to your left and there's a person to your right. And I hope there's a Paul who can be telling you of the wondrous ways in which God has bestowed blessing and shown up for them every time they took an act of obedience. And if you are someone who has been traveling with Jesus, and it doesn't even have to be a long track record, but if you have a track record of a relationship with Jesus, I implore you to shout the testimonies of his faithfulness to you. 
because there are testimonies that are needing to be heard and there are Timothys who are struggling and needing to be reminded and they're needing to hear that he has given us a power, a, a power of sound mind and of love. He's needing, the Timothys are needing to hear from the Pauls that, that it is worth it to keep going. That, the, that when the gospel bursts onto the scene, it is not something that just goes away and that it is worth committing to. So if you are a Paul, I ask that you know the Timothys. Be in relationship with them. Be praying with them and for of them and tell them of the testimonies of what God has been in your life. And if you are a Timothy, be willing to listen and to hear. Be encouraged that your faith in showing up, that in and of itself is a work of Jesus. And there is grace. So much. We are all, all of us are here and have the testimonies that we have because of God's great grace. So if you'll stand up. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that we cannot explain the mystery of the gospel. That it is so, so far beyond what we can comprehend. For those of us who are feeling like we're just telling, and we've been telling ourselves over and over again, I just don't know if I have the faith to walk this road. I just don't know that I have it in me. God, may we take great comfort in knowing that you are in us. And what that means is that we are then equipped to walk every hard road. God, I pray that we would be a people that so loves and trusts you that serving you is done with delight. That we would delight in serving one another because you have asked us to. May we respond to one another the same way you respond to us, which is grace and forgiveness and kindness and tenderness. You had every right to come and rule, but you came to serve. And may we love one another the same way. Even if we know that we are right or have a right, may we choose to serve. May we be May we be reminded that we don't have to muster up or prove our worth through faith, a greater faith or, or greater acts of obedience, but that we would just be reminded and take comfort in that it is you. It is by you, it is in you, and it is for you. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Kara. It's awesome. If you guys would like prayer, um, we're going to open up some space for prayer. I would encourage you to receive prayer if you need it. This is a spot where people will pray, and that's a good thing. And so, uh, Father, we just open up our hearts to you and what you want to do right now as we close. Um, you're going to be free to leave um, after I pray this prayer right now. Uh, thank the child care workers for shepherding your children so well. And, um, God, we pray a prayer of blessing over each person this week that we would walk for you and with you. And uh, we thank you for Kara and the word that she's spoken in the worship today. And we just ask that you, God, would just continue to be our shepherd, that we would lean into you. Bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.